listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. Welcome back to episode 47 of the Testudo Times podcast, the holy crap, Alex and I are graduating episode, which is uh, true. Alex, we're graduating. We're recording this Sunday afternoon and we're graduating on Wednesday night. Uh, is this an old, like, my life has just hit me full circle moment? I don't know how I feel about it just yet. We'll see. I'm looking forward to, to the festivities of the week and uh, keeping the, the train on the tracks around here. You are, you and I are going to be, I don't know if we'll be sitting next to each other. Well, I'm going to try to do that so we could have the Testudo Times correspondence of both the journalism and the main graduation ceremonies because you know you want to hear us talk about that, of course. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be interesting times for all of us who are graduating. A weird world we're entering in, but it's still Maryland athletics. That's not changing when we're not going to be here. So let's talk about a lot of basketball news has come our way recently. I want to start first by talking about the transfer of LG Gill to Maryland, grad transferees from Duquesne. I saw a number of people commenting that they can't spell or say Duquesne. Well, now you know how to. Mm-hmm. You've gotten an expert. You've had to learn, and you've probably done enough of that. So Gill is coming in from uh, what conference is Duquesne in? Are they the in Atlantic the Atlantic 10? I thought yeah. they were in the A-10. I'm just making sure. Well, you're from Pittsburgh. You better know that answer. Um, yeah. So LG yeah. Gill's coming to Maryland, filling a position that is desperately in need of depth. Whether it's how good the depth is, we don't know. But getting in that depth is important because without him, you have Micah Thomas, Evan Bender, and um, Shrug Emojis. Yeah, I think it's a really important pickup. And, you know, you don't know exactly how how good he'll be uh, at Maryland, but I suspect he'll probably be pretty good. Uh, He's about 6'8", about 220, um, in really good shape. When he was at Maryland last week, is it last weekend? Or maybe it was two weekends ago, it, it alludes me. I think it was last weekend. Um, so two weekends ago, by the time we, we published this podcast, uh, he worked out in the gym uh, at Xfinity Center uh, and and apparently did a really good job, really impressed Maryland staff there, um, just with kind of the amount of weight that he can pick up and put back down. Uh, obviously had a pretty big jump in, in uh, statistics last year. I mean, he had 10 points and I think six and a half rebounds a game. He, he shot 55% from the field, which he'd never been better than like 48% before that. So he's definitely gotten better over the years at Duquesne. Uh, the Big Ten will present a higher level of competition than he's used to, but I think he'll definitely help Maryland in a lot of ways. But the, critically, I think, for Maryland, this isn't a he sits out a year. This is a grad transfer. He's going to play right. next season. And right. I, I, we don't want to portray this as anything. He's going to be a particularly a good player, we think. But this is sort of a stopgap move because we know Fender and Micah Thomas are going to be potentially good players, but they're both young. Bender's still inexperienced. Thomas is going to be a freshman. You don't want to have to rely on them all that much. And what he does is going to be particularly important because I think we're going to see Maryland go away from the lineups that we saw last year by necessity, obviously. And they're going to play a lot smaller than they did last past season. And Gill is going to be pretty important playing at the four, not only with scoring, but just defensive presence and size presence that Maryland is going to need quite a bit of next season. Yeah, I think they'll have a different look. I mean, depending on... Uh, on Mello Trimble's status, too. We will uh, get to that. We will get to that. And, and we'll get to that. But, you know, in the event that he came back, you might see some two-point guard sets with him and Anthony Cowan. Uh, I think Anthony Cowan, without actually having watched him much, um, just from, from what I hear about him and the way that uh, recruiting analysts talk about him and the way that his tape looks and the way that he talks as well and the confidence that he has, 
I think he's going to be pretty good and probably force himself uh, into a lot of minutes pretty quickly uh, at Maryland. And so if Melo Trimble's still around, obviously you're going to get a lot of minutes out of him. So then you could have a two-point guard set uh, and and really a three-guard set a lot of the time for Maryland. Um, and even if Trimble isn't back, I mean, they, they've got a couple of freshman shooting guards coming in uh, or guys who are more or less shooting guards coming in. Kevin Herter is the, is the one I'm thinking Ke- Kevin of. Herter, Kevin Herter being the, the primary shooting guard. And I also sort of refer to, in that same breath, to Deion Wiley. Uh, he's kind of a, a, a sorry around. to interrupt, but he's kind of like that two-three fringe player. Like what we would, my at least initial thought was that you were going to see him play at the quote-unquote three. Well, you Herter know, he, might be in some ways. I think Herter might be taller than Deion Wiley, and he's definitely I think he's like he's six seven. Really I think he's like six seven, and and Wiley is what maybe six six four or so. Yeah, that's why I was thinking like you could play him more as a three and stretch the floor like that, and then you see Gill play at the four with Dodd and Tchaikovsky at, at center, right. obviously. And or you can we, see Gill at center sometimes uh, with, with you know, any number of guys uh, sort of faking power forward a little bit in, in a small ball lineup. And, yeah, I mean, all of the above are, are smaller lineups than, than a Robert Carter, Diamond Stone, Jake Lehman look that they showed so often last year. And it's, of course, it's by necessity, but what, we, what we're saying is that LG Gill's going to play a lot and is going to be a very important player because even if he didn't show up, then you'd have Bender or Thomas in that role. And that's and while they both could be very good, LG Gill's an immediate player that can fill that role and fill that role very well. And yeah. it also brings on to the larger point of almost every year, at least that I've been following Maryland basketball, Mark Turgeon has picked up an important transfer. Versus Des Wells, then you see Smotrids, whatever you would think of Evan Smotrids. You have Rashad Pack, you have Rashid Suleiman, and now you have LG Gill. He works the transfer market better than almost any coach I've ever seen in college basketball with all of this player movement, not just incoming freshmen, but all the transfers we've seen in the Big Ten this year. It's an insane amount. Mark Turgeon getting somebody in and somebody of quality in is really important to keep pace. It is, and he, he has definitely demonstrated uh an acumen for finding players through that market uh going back really as far as his second season at maryland uh when he added des wells and, and it wasn't just him i mean it's been uh logan aaron all that year mm-hmm. uh, evan smotrich john graham rashad pack rob carter uh Suleiman last year uh even you know Vroom rom and it was really uh, helpful to maryland in a lot of ways so it's been something they've been good at and uh I think given the way college basketball has gone, I mean, there are more and more transfers every year. I don't know what the exact numbers are, but I suspect that over the last few years, there have been more transfers than any other time in the history of the sport. Uh, And Maryland's been in on a lot of them, including some really good ones. So it's definitely uh, an important part of of the way Turgeon builds his teams and uh, a nice supplement to what's also been a pretty good traditional recruiting resume for him. Absolutely. So let's talk about Mellow Tremble because we're all starting to think about it now that the NBA scouting combine is through. Just perusing through Twitter when you're watching and seeing Mellow Tremble work out, I saw a number of tweets that were like, hmm. It definitely made your eyebrows go up and say, hmm, is, is there a good chance of him coming back? There was that one tweet I saw where he couldn't reach the bottom of the, it wasn't the high jump, I think it was the broad jump or something like that. And then Jeff Goodman says the two Big Ten players who should return to school were Nigel Hayes and Mello Trimble. And mm-hmm. Jeff Goodman's a pretty authoritative source on college basketball. And he yeah, will he's have very talked good. To pe- and he will have talked to people at the Combine, college basketball and NBA people about that. Now, Trimble said afterwards that it's still 50-50, and that's exactly what he should be saying. But 
time's running out. As we speak, he's got 10 days to make this decision on Sunday afternoon. It's coming down the pike, and it's coming down the pike very soon. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, how well he did specifically. I wish we had Matt Allentuck here to talk about it because he follows that stuff a lot more closely than we do. But from the evidence, did your opinion on the situation change at all? Uh, it did. I think it's likelier than not. Uh, and then this is really important disclaimer is that I, I haven't spoken to Melo personally about this. Uh, but it seemed before like it was probably a little likelier than not that he would leave. And now I think it seems a little likelier than not that he'll stay. Uh, of course, nothing's going to be final. And he, and he did say uh, to Adam Zagoria the other day that, you know, he's okay if he's not a first-round pick. He could be an early second-round pick, uh, emphasis on early second-round pick, and, and be fine with it and move on despite not having much in the way of guarantees financially. Uh, but given that uh, Draft Express, which is probably the the best or one of the two best um, mock draft services that, that the NBA scouting community has to offer – uh, has him completely out of a draft. I think that for him to to leave, he'd have to have a lot of confidence that one team or, or two teams just really, really loves him uh, and is prepared to pick him if he gets to them. Otherwise, it's a pretty risky play. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm generally pretty pro players leaving, but I think if he actually were to go undrafted, uh, that would be a, a pretty huge mistake given that he has another opportunity to raise his stock in college next year. So I, I would hope for him that that doesn't happen. So hopefully he can find a way to, to either be sure uh, or, or to come back to school. In terms of teams in the high second round, I'm looking at the draft list now. You have Boston, the Lakers, Clippers, Suns, Celtics, Bucks, Rockets. Those are all early on in the second round, and that's without any further trades. And the, the NBA draft trades are very, very silly, and I don't understand them. And I'm somebody who could tell you the ins and outs of how MLS salary cap works and I'm confused by the NBA. So I don't know how any of these teams would fit into this equation particularly, but the signs that we were seeing at least publicly from more middle-of-the-road sources are starting to lead me to believe that it might be more beneficial for him to come back, but whether he actually makes that decision or not is up to him, of course, and I I still don't think he knows. I don't either, but I think he'll get good advice. Uh, You know, Mark Turgeon loves Melo Trimble. Um... I think that he'll give him the best advice that he possibly can uh, and do it in a in a pretty detached manner. And uh, it, it's just, it's really hard to say. Given what the consensus seems to be uh, at this second, it would make a lot uh, a lot of sense if that is correct for Melo Trimble to, to come back to school. Uh, but all it takes is one, uh, one team to decide it wants him early enough in the draft to make it worth it. And that's what makes it such a volatile thing to try to predict. It is incredibly volatile, and right now I, I wouldn't be – I couldn't tell you I'm not a big enough NBA and NBA draft fan to count on that authority. That's why, as we said, we wanted Matt Allen Tuck on this show to be able to elucidate some of that for us. Uh, if he comes back – now this is just an if, and we'll have a lot of time to say that. The if being, of course, the biggest thing. Uh, what – I mean, it's a different Maryland team, but he – changes the paradigm significantly for what we might be able to expect from the Terps next season if he does come back. Yeah, I think it would. What do you think? I, I think it would be it would be interesting about how he would play in a lineup a lot more like the 2014-15 Terps as opposed to last year. But, but there would be interesting things for him in terms of what he can improve on as a player. But 
yeah, it's it's it would be a very interesting thing to watch if it does happen. Now there is one recruiting thing that we want to talk about. We usually don't talk about recruiting much on this show until it's officially confirmed because recruiting is as much a shot in the dark as anything else. But the Justin Jackson situation is a particularly fascinating one, I think, Alex, because for a while, I believe he's committed to Kansas now, if, if my memory no, serves No, so me. this is Josh Jackson. Josh is Jackson. To oh, okay. I get uh, those two mixed Justin, up all the time. Yeah, Justin Jackson, um, and not the North Carolina Justin Jackson, uh, but the— This is going to be a hell of a thing the, to remember. The Justin Jackson right? in Canada, uh, who is the four-star— uh, 2016 prospect who Maryland could get under the wire here. Uh, he is the one who, for our purposes right now, is the most interesting. Okay, so let's talk about him for a second because he also could make Maryland's roster particularly interesting next year. Talk about him as a player, and then it didn't look like Maryland was in on him for a while, and now they are, and some recruiting services actually have Maryland as a favorite. Yeah, uh, I know that he visited a few weekends ago also, uh, I had heard that he he liked it. I don't think it was like a, sometimes you ask you know how to visit go and it's like oh it was the best it was over the top. I just heard he liked it. It wasn't anything too formal, uh, but he is very well rated. Uh, he is on the twenty four seven sports composite, which aggregates uh, major recruiting services uh, evaluations of players. He's the number twelve small forward in the class, uh, the number eighty three player in the class overall. Uh, and it seems I've seen a couple of reports that he was visiting Oregon, so it seems like kind of down to Under Armour versus Nike, uh, Maryland versus Oregon. Oh here boy, him. another one of those things, isn't it? Another one of those things. Uh, That's, and you were and it would be what, it would be a great get for Maryland. I mean, there's no ta- question. Yeah, you were talking about what college sports had become before with the transfers. You just hit the nail on the head. It's apparel company versus apparel company. Well, I, I don't. I don't mean. In that. some ways, it I is. Mean, I mean, he. I. I don't know him. He might very well have uh, other considerations at play. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it would be a pretty substantial get for Maryland. Uh, and time's running a little short. I don't believe When's the deadline. I don't know it off the the top of my head. There are not, uh, there's not a whole lot of time left. I think that the deadline, uh, is like May 18th or something like that is the, is the final date. That's in, that's in just a few days. Uh, I don't know if there are any exceptions that can be made, but uh, I don't, think uh that there's a reason to think it would go longer than the next few days so uh you should have some resolution pretty soon which would be interesting so quickly i don't know if we're gonna have a chance to talk about jackson as a player and how he fits in with maryland if he does commit here well we'll find you'll see you'll see stuff on the website i'm talking about on this podcast so if if we let's say he does uh and we're in the middle of graduation and he announces his commitment to maryland and all hell breaks loose for instance, uh, what would he provide to this team next year? I have, I'm just on the quick side. I have a fantasy that fantasy. It's more like a dark nightmare that Melo Trimble announces his decision during the middle of our graduation ceremony or in the morning uh, after when we're having the journalism ceremony and you and I are both kind of freaking out about this. But anyway, well, it's all about preparation, you know, but I think he'd help Maryland a lot. I mean, they don't really have, uh, with the exception of Micah Thomas, who is presumably going to be very raw. Uh, they don't have a small forward in a post-Jake Lehman world. I mean, you don't really want to play uh, Jared Nickens there, though you can in sort of a Kyle Korver-like capacity where he just spots up and shoots threes all days. Uh, Jackson's more of like a small forward, power forward hybrid. So if they got him, I mean, he would be able to play both roles. Uh, you could see him in some lineups where he could play the four, uh, and LG Gill plays the five, and then you'd have some shooters, maybe three guards with them. Uh, and that could be a potentially really good lineup. But yeah, he'd be uh, he'd be a big get for Maryland. I mean, he'd be 
probably after Anthony Cowan, he'd be the 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 highest rated recruit that they get. Oh, I'm not sure how he compares exactly to uh, to Kevin Herter. So it would be substantial, and uh, we'll see if Maryland can can get him under the wire. We will see about that. I think Herter's actually rated slightly higher now that I look at well, it. Well, both would be pretty. Both are going to be pretty dang good players if they commit to Maryland anyway. Yeah. But it yeah. means next year's team is going to be very young and in a transition. But you guys already probably knew that. Uh, quickly before we wrap it up, just a few bits of football news. Two game times have been announced for home games next season, and actually three. I think the Penn State game is a noon game as well. That's Penn State's homecoming. Oi! I was worried it was going to be a night game for a second, and then all hell would break loose in that. But it's not, which is good. Uh, night game against Michigan State, as is probably becoming a tradition, and homecoming is against Purdue this season, which is very good thinking on Maryland's part because they'll probably beat Purdue, and nobody likes losing homecoming games. No. Maryland last year scheduled Wisconsin, and it was not great. Shouldn't have done it. I've been to a Well, they beat Iowa the one year, but they've been one but this was, in our time. Just, just to be clear, the Iowa that they beat a couple years ago was not the Iowa that you saw last year going 12-0. Well, obviously not, but Maryland almost found a way to give up that game. I remember sitting in the stands thinking, you're not going to blow this, are you? And thankfully they didn't, but that's a homecoming thing. And Maryland also got another wide receiver commit from Georgia, Alex, if you want to quickly hit on that. Uh, yeah, Carlos Carrier committed. Uh, he's three stars, six-foot-five kid. Uh, really, really skinny. Uh, so he'll he'll probably need to beef up a little bit before uh, Maryland actually uses him in Big Ten games. But he's taller than anybody else Maryland has by like five inches. I don't think Maryland has a single scholarship receiver who's taller than five eleven or maybe even five ten. Um, so he definitely gives them a new dimension uh, that they didn't have before. And he might be a little bit raw. I mean, he's got a lot of body to control. Um, so that's something that's going to be a developmental process. But he's a big time. Uh, big time catch for them. I mean, he's in in any other recruiting class. Maryland gets a six five receiver with that kind of talent from Georgia. They're going to be pretty euphoric about it. Uh, it's less big news now, just given how many other commitments they've gotten, including uh, a slightly higher rated three star receiver from Georgia just a week ago, Sean Nelson. But he's he's going to be an important part of Maryland's offense at some point, I would think. And uh, he, he's a nice catch. I cannot keep up with the DJ Durkin recruiting express. Yeah, top 15 right now. As we record this, they're a top 15 class for 2017, which uh, would be interesting in the sense that Maryland has never, ever, ever in history been that high. It's absolute insanity. How good he was. Uh, I guess one, one last thing. He spoke to the uh, Shuley Povich Center for Sports Journalism recently. I know, yep. I think you were there. Uh, anything interesting from that conversation? I highly doubt it, but... Actually, there was. I, I'm glad you asked that. There was one thing that I've been meaning to write about, but just I haven't really found a place to fit now it Now I've in. reminded you. Yeah, well, I, well, we could talk about it here. Uh, the dean of Maryland's Journalism College, uh, Lucy Dalglish, actually asked him a really interesting question. We talked a lot uh, about you know sports media issues, and obviously you ask him you know, standard recruiting and, and strategy questions, things like that. Um, but we actually were talking a little bit with him about um, kind of what, how he views the media and uh, how, you know, so Durkin was asked how he views the media and what kind of, things he would like reporters and, and people covering his teams to keep in mind. Uh, and I thought he gave a pretty interesting response. He talked about, uh, you know, knowing that people sometimes say they don't read things. I don't think these are the exact words he used. Uh, but you know how a lot of football coaches and people who, who work in sports will say, oh, I don't read anything. You know, I'm, I'm just zeroed in. Uh, I think he, he issued a pretty interesting reminder that uh, the things that you write and the things that you, that you say about people 
uh, do have an impact on them. And if they don't read them, then their wives might read them or, or their brothers and sisters or parents might read them, their kids might read them. So uh, we, we had an interesting little talk about that. Uh, kind of tough to sum up. Maybe I'll get the recording and put it out sometime. But uh, he also you know, he had asked uh, an interesting question of the crowd. He said, you know, what do you look for in, inter- in an interviewee? Uh, kind of on the flip side of his of his question. And uh, I think Durkin is actually a really good guy to cover. Uh, I've enjoyed covering him so far because he doesn't necessarily have an expectation that you're going to toss him softballs that could get hit out of the park uh, all the time. And, he, you know, he's kind of willing to be questioned aggressively about things as long as you're fair and, and you're just making someone think and not um, being overtly confrontational and interrogated without justification. So kind of a niche issue that maybe maybe you and I will find more interesting than the other people who listen to this podcast. But I thought it was a good conversation. I enjoyed enjoyed talking to him for a while. I think Ryan Connors will find that particularly interesting seeing as he's going to be covering him a lot next year. But I think so. Yeah, he, he might enjoy that. And, and some of our friends in the business. But he always seemed like a good coach when he talked to the media. And I've, I've liked the way he handles himself. And it, it starts well. If you have a frosty relationship with the media early on, it, it's often to me a sign of something else going on behind the scenes. And that's usually the channeling of that. But that yeah. just comes from my experience watching a bajillion other sports and transposing it onto here. So... Be sure to stay tuned for a separate podcast where Noah Niederhofer and I will talk about Maryland lacrosse and the successes of both of those programs, men's and women's. The women's, you already know, they've won back-to-back national titles. They're still undefeated this season. They're the number one seed in the women's tournament. They just beat Johns Hopkins. The men are the number one seed in the men's side uh, for the first time since 1987. They beat Quinnipiac handily earlier on today, today being Sunday, of course. And they have a chance to do some great things as they have been incredibly impressive all year. They've won 14 games in a row. It's time to start paying attention to them. No one and I will talk about that on a separate podcast. But of course, go Terps.